Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia at 9.30 and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. We hope you'll be able to join us, but in the meantime, enjoy this recording of last week's message. In 2012, a man named David Zentner and his wife were out uh, flying. They, they like to fly small airplanes, and they were flying a Cessna. And so they took off from the airport, and they decided it'd be fun to fly over their own house. So as they were flying in their little plane over their house, they looked down at their house, and they noticed that there was someone in their driveway stealing their trailer. So what they decided to do is kind of circle around and kind of wait and then see where that car was going to so the car. The guy was hooked, hitched up the trailer, was pulling it away. The plane followed the trailer for a few miles. They called the police, and the police went out and, and, and intercepted the, the car, and they were able to arrest the guy. In 2003, Dorothy Fletcher boarded an airline flight bound for Orlando. She was having some chest pains, and during the flight, she ended up having a heart attack. Now, that's a scary situation no matter where that happens, but when you're on a plane, it's even scarier because you don't know if you can get the help that you need. The flight attendant got on the intercom and said, are there any doctors on board? Immediately, 15 hands went up on the plane, and it turns out there were 15 cardiologists on board who were all headed to Orlando for a conference uh, for cardiologists. Uh, needless to say, Dorothy Fletcher recovered. Um, and then in 1999, there was an Indiana man, and he was meeting up with some friends, and they were playing a, a board game that had some cards with it. It was an art-based board game. And one of the, art, the pieces of art in the board game on one of the cards was by an artist named Martin Johnson Heed. And uh, it was, a, it was a, a, a fairly famous painting. And as the man is playing this board game, he looks at this piece of art on the card, and he goes, I think I have a painting like that in my house. I use it to cover a hole in the wall in my laundry room. And he went home and he found it, and indeed it was that painting, and he turned around and he sold it to the museum for $1 million. Hopefully he patched the hole. Um, sometimes it just pays to be in the right place at the right time, right? Like, sometimes you're just lucky, or in the case of the guy stealing the trailer, unlucky. Um, but but we, we see those things and we go, man, that's just dumb luck. Like, that's just a crazy coincidence that, that those things kind of came together and someone benefited from it. But there are other situations that you see that, that we, we would definitely say are not luck. There's, there are circumstances that come together and you go, well, that's not luck. Like if you, if you go to the symphony and they're doing like a violin concerto and there's a, they bring in some incredible violinist who's there and performs with the symphony, you don't think in that moment, oh, I wonder where they found her. Oh, man, so lucky that she happens to be here tonight performing this concerto, and she knows this part. She's really good at this. Like, you don't think that, right? You don't see LeBron in game six when there's three seconds left on the clock and a shot needs to be made, and they pass the ball to him, and he makes that shot. You don't think, man, isn't it lucky that he was here right now? You think, well, this is what he was made for. Like, this guy has been training his entire life for this exact moment. It's not luck. It's not coincidence. It's like uh, 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 it is hard work and determination and skill and talent and energy and, and effort and all of that coming together for that moment, right? Some things just seem like dumb luck. Some things seem like, no, no, there was preparation for that moment. And, and I think life is a lot like that. You have things that have happened in your life, things that have come together, a, a chance encounter that you had, a, a, a business meeting, a, a relationship, someone you met in a weird way maybe. There's things that have come together that you go, okay, that was lucky. That was kind of weird how that worked out. It was a coincidence. And then there's other things that come together and you go, no, I, like, 
man, this is the moment that I've been waiting for all my life. Like, I've been preparing for this for, for years, for decades. I, this, is, this is what I've been trained for. I'm ready to perform in this moment. And if you're really paying attention, maybe you'll see things and you'll say, I think God has orchestrated things in my life to set me up for this exact moment. You go like, man, my talent, my energy, my abilities, the circumstances that I'm in, the position that I'm in, the platform that I have been given, all of it comes together for this moment. God is at work here. He's, he's doing something. And I want us to look at that kind of moment in the book of Esther. Esther is uh, an interesting book in the Old Testament. We've been studying through it for a couple weeks. Now, I've, I've been really enjoying the opportunity to dig into a book that I hadn't spent a lot of time in. It's an unusual book in the Bible because God or Jesus are never named in the book. So it's a lot of, um, uh, it's kind of a story about what's going on in the ancient kingdom of Persia, but it doesn't mention God directly. But God, we call the series Unseen because God is working in unseen ways. He's working behind the scenes and he's orchestrating some things, things that you would say is luck or coincidence. He's pulling some things together in a, in a pretty profound way. And so to, to summarize very quickly the, the story up, up till now, because we're going to jump into chapter four today, uh, Esther sort of wins this, prince, uh, this princess of Persia beauty pageant kind of thing, and she becomes the queen of Persia, and she's married to Xerxes, who's a, a tyrant king uh, uh, in the year 479 BC. Xerxes is the, the, the bad guy king in the movie 300. Uh, he gets defeated at the Battle of Thermopylae, comes back to Persia, which is a massive empire. Esther becomes his queen, um, and, and in that position, it's going fine, but Esther's cousin's a guy named Mordecai. He's looked after her and raised her because she was orphaned from a young age. Uh, Mordecai refuses to bow to a man named Haman. Haman is the kind of the number one guy in charge underneath the Xerxes, and Mordecai doesn't want to bow to Haman because Haman's a prideful jerk, and Mordecai's not having it. And because Mordecai won't bow to Haman, Haman gets enraged by it. His pride overcomes him. We looked at this last week. And uh, he goes to the king, and he says, hey, um, there's this people group, this ethnic group within the kingdom, and they're not following your laws. We should exterminate all of them. He's talking about the Jews. He just doesn't tell the king that it's the Jews. And the king's like, yeah, that sounds good. So they, they plan this date months out. On this particular date, all the Jews are going to be slaughtered, men, women, and children. And so this is a, a horrible situation. And even the people who aren't Jews are kind of like, what's going on? Why are we doing this? Um, and so the, the, the chapter 3 ends with the king and Haman sitting together having a drink on the balcony like, hey, we did a good thing. This is a great idea. Chapter 4 begins with the Jews mourning and crying, particularly Mordecai, Esther's cousin. He is weeping in the streets, and, which is a, like this public, public crying is, is, a, is a thing to the ancient, ancient culture that you would publicly mourn. And he's doing this. He's wearing sackcloth, which is like goat hair. He's wearing and, and ashes on his body, and he's walking around mourning because he knows uh, he and all of his people are going to be slaughtered. Now, news of all this will eventually come to Esther uh, in the palace, and so I want to pick it up because uh, she is going to be challenged, and, and today we're going to look at what really is um, the heart, the theological and spiritual heart of this entire book. If, if, you, if you mention Esther to anyone who knows the Bible a little bit, the, the passage we're going to look at today is the one that everybody knows from the book of Esther. So it, it's, it's kind of a famous thing that is said here, and it's pretty profound and powerful. So I want to start with Esther chapter 4. We'll start with verse 4. We'll pick it up there. When Esther's young women and her eunuchs came and told her, told her that Mordecai was mourning in the streets, her cousin, the queen was deeply distressed. She sent garments to clothe Mordecai so that he might take off his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther called for Hathak, one of the king's eunuchs, who had, appointed, who had been appointed to attend her, 
and ordered him to go to Mordecai to learn what, what this was and why it was. So there's mourning happening in the streets, and Esther, at this point, is a little unsure of what it's all about. She, she hears that her cousin Mordecai is practically naked and in the streets and crying. She tries to send clothes to him, and then she sends one of her servants. She asks for a servant to come to her and say, go out into the streets and find out um, what's going on. There is a contrast between people who are living out in the street and people who are living in the palace. So the palace in Susa, the capital of Persia, is on the western edge of town and it's on a hill. So Esther literally lives in this walled-in palace on top of the hill, far above and, and separated from the, the common people, right? So she's up there, in, up there on the hill in the palace, and then there's all the people out here who are struggling, and so she gets news um, about something going on there that her cousin's upset. Um, her life in the palace allows her to be isolated from the pain that people are going through. That's not such an unusual thing. Maybe that's one of the benefits of living in the palace is that you get to be isolated from the pain that people go through. Is it possible, I'm thinking about modern day applications of this, is it possible that we structure our lives in such a way that we are isolated from pain? Is it possible through acquisition of wealth or moving to particular neighborhoods or, or whatever, is it possible that we have so structured our lives that we don't need to feel what it's like on the street? We don't need to be connected to the pain and the suffering. Now, on the one hand, you would say like, well, yeah, like that's the point of having money. Like the point of, of wealth acquisition is so that you can be insulated from the pain. Wealth, wealth can do that, that's part of its purpose. But the, the challenge that we, that we see in Esther is, okay, you have this wealthy position, you are isolated from the pain, you, you don't have to see what's going on in this other part of town or in this other part of the, of the kingdom, you don't have to notice if you don't want to. The challenge is going to be for Esther, can you leverage what you have, you're wealthy, you're in a position of power and, and influence, can you leverage that for the sake of the people on the outside, for the sake of the people who, who don't have that kind of access? So the eunuch goes to talk to Mordecai, and let me just summarize a little piece here. Mordecai gets the message, and he sends a message back to Esther, and he's like, this is terrible. It's, it's not going well out here. Um, we're all going to die. We don't exactly know if she doesn't know that, um, but he, he kind of he challenged back to her and, 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 and sends a message. So they're kind of communicating through a, a, a servant and sending messages back and forth. And so Mordecai's like, it's bad out here. And then he goes back to her. Um, and in verse 11, uh, it says this. Uh, and this is Esther's response because Mordecai says, you need to do something. Esther says this. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death, except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. So Mordecai's like, Esther, you've got to help. You've got to do something here. It's bad. We're, we're going to get slaughtered out here. These are, these are your people. And Esther's basically like, Mordecai, you don't even know what it's like in here. You don't know what it's like in the palace. You don't know. Here's the deal. And then she's like, look, everybody should know this. Here's the deal. If you go approach the king, you want me to like go tell the king and have him call off the slaughter. If I go approach the king, if anybody approaches the king without being asked, they're going to be killed, man or woman, even me. You're asking a lot of me, Mordecai. 
you're asking me to, put, to risk it all, because if, if I don't receive the king's favor in that moment, I'm going to die too when I, when I, when I go in there. And, and she's got a good thing going, right? She's got a good thing going. She's in the comfort of the palace. She is insulated from the suffering around her. And she doesn't want to mess that up, and I, and I get it. I think a lot of us would feel the same way. Man, she's like, Mordecai, you don't know what you're asking. And so listen to the response from Mordecai, and this is kind of the, the spiritual heart of this book. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. This is the heart of the book. Mordecai's point, what he's basically telling her is, you're probably dead either way. You can speak up, and maybe the king will kill you for speaking up. Or you can stay silent and you're going to be killed eventually because you're a Jew too. So his challenge to her is to, is, is to speak up, to don't get so comfy in your life in the palace. Don't get so comfy in your position of wealth and privilege because this is going to come for you too. And he puts that famous challenge to her. Who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. His challenge is, Esther, this, this may be your moment. Who knows? This could be it. This could be, you were in this position for this purpose. That God has orchestrated things, that he has worked the circumstances, the timing, and everything. He has put you in that palace with that king next to Haman, who's that guy in this situation. He's put you there just for this moment. Now, the word he uses in Hebrew, who knows whether you have not come. The word come there in Hebrew is a very passive word. It, it's, it's basically, he's saying, who knows whether you have not been brought to royalty just for this moment. He's suggesting to her that, look, I know you, Esther. I know where you came from. I know, I know the rags to riches story of, of your background. I know your people and your family and your father's family. And maybe things have been orchestrated in such a way that God has brought you to this place. Not that you earned it. It's not because you were so awesome, but you have been brought to this position, and maybe you were brought to this position exactly for this moment. This whole scenario you have, Esther, the whole position that you have is not really your doing. It is a gift from God. You have opportunity there, and that opportunity is by God's grace. And Esther can easily in this moment ignore the plight of the suffering around her, even her own people. And she could do that by thinking that she's different than them. She can say, well, sucks for them out there, but I'm royalty. I'm in the palace. I'm this kind of person. Those are those kind of people. They're going to get what they deserve, but I'm this other kind of person. She can think that she has earned her spot. Unless we think we're being like, too judgmental on her, I think... Most of us would feel that way if we were in that position. We would sort of feel like, I'm a pretty big deal, you know? You're, athletes 
musicians, artists, actors, whatever, like they make it to the top and I don't know if you've ever listened to some of their music, but they kind of think they're a big deal, you know, right? People, we get to that spot, we, we, we achieve a level of success and we start to believe our own press and we're like, ah, oh, well, kind of awesome. And, and, and Esther could easily do that in this, in this moment. We, we all do that in, in, at times um, because we forget that all that we have are any wealth that you have, any privilege that you have, any opportunity that you have, everything is by the grace of God. The car that you drive by the grace of God, the house that you live in by the grace of God, the fact that you live here is by the grace of God, the fact that you live in a place with opportunity. We live in a country where hard work is rewarded financially. You can work much harder in another country and not be as rewarded financially for it. You did not ask to be born here. I haven't met a person yet who orchestrated the, the origin of their own birth right? You did not ask to be born here. You have opportunities, and, and a lot of it has been given to you. Um, I love the NFL. I love to watch it. Do you know why I don't play in the NFL? Besides the obvious looking at me that it's not. In, but, but there's a thing there. I don't have like fast twitch muscle fibers. Like I'm not built the, the way that you would have to be to be an athlete. Like there's so much of, yes, there's an incredible amount of hard work that goes in to make it on that level, but there's also just some God-given you were given these kind of muscle fibers, you were given this kind of speed um, by, by the Lord. And so we, we have to, all of us have to play the hand we, we were dealt. Um, to be successful at anything means you will have walked through, at some point you will have walked through some doors that you did not open, but that they were opened for you. So Mordecai challenges her. He knows where she came from, and his challenge is if you risk losing the palace, you might lose it all. But if you don't risk losing the palace, you will lose it all. And it would be so easy for Esther's identity to be wrapped up in palace life. She's done with that provincial life, right? She gets to be in the palace. And she can say, I'm not that kind of person. And, and she can wrap up her identity in being the queen. We, we all can do that. We can all get can sucked into these external identities. And and, and we can all wrap up our own identity in what we do or what position we've attained. So how do we avoid that, right? Um, I read a book last year, um, James Clear. I really enjoyed this book, James Clear's book, Atomic Habits. And he talks a lot about building habits, good habits, bad habits, how you, how you work through that. And towards the end of the book, he, he had this, this one chapter that kind of snuck up on me and surprised me. Um, and he talked about people who build things or who achieve things and who accomplish things and and he basically said, um, the problem is that if you accomplish things, you have the tendency to define yourself or get your identity wrapped up in the thing that you have accomplished and you become that thing. And so the challenge from the book was this, keep your identity small. Keep your identity small. If your identity is, I started that company, you're going to be devastated when the company tanks. If your identity is, well, I'm just a, a great mom, you're going to be devastated when your children act up. If your identity is, well, I'm the owner of that thing, you're going to be devastated when the ownership is taken away from you. If your identity is wrapped up and I made this money, I accomplished this thing, I, I achieved all of these things, um, you run the risk of the devastation that comes when all of those things are taken away from you. If, and so I like that idea, keep your identity small, but I think it doesn't go far enough. I, I believe, and we did a whole series on this, so I'm not going to belabor this, but I believe our identity needs to be wrapped up in God entirely. Like, that's the only place to connect our identity, that you and I are sons and daughters of, of God. We are, we are his children. That is, that is the identity. It's the only one we can connect to 
that can't be taken away from us. Um, it's the only one we connect to that is actually stable, that, that isn't, uh, d- won't disappoint us. It's the only place to root our identity. And so nobody would blame Esther for tying her identity to being the queen. Um, she could have easily blown off this challenge from Mordecai. But listen to this because she's going to shift and this is where Esther really kicks into gear in this book. Listen to what she says. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go. She's like going to start barking out orders here. Go, gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Wow. She could have blown this off. She had every reason to say, no, it's good in the palace. I'm not doing it. And she turns and she says, I'm going to step up and I'm going to go to the king. And I want everybody to pray and fast about it. And if I die, then I'm going to die. And she boldly steps forward. She doesn't say, I'm royalty now, this is not my problem. She identifies in that moment with her people, and she says, I'm one of you, and I'm going to go talk to the king. So here you have this woman who identifies with the larger people, and she goes before the king, and she asks him for mercy. If you're a follower of Jesus, this has got to sound familiar to you not just from the Esther story, but from the greater Jesus story that this is pointing to. You see, Jesus comes to earth and identifies with us, with the people. He leaves a place of the palace, he leaves a place of royalty, he leaves heaven, and he comes to earth and identifies with us, and then he goes before his heavenly Father and he asks for mercy on our behalf. Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul writes about this in the New Testament. Listen to what he says, Philippians 2, starting with verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, take the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul is reminding us, Jesus lived in the palace. He was in heaven, and he came here to identify with us, to walk with us, to feel our pain, our sorrow, our hurt, and to receive the scorn of humanity, to go through the dark night of the soul that all of us are going to have to go through. Jesus did all of that, goes on the cross before his heavenly father and ask for mercy on our behalf and in that moment on the cross all of our sins all of our struggles all of our pain all of that goes on him and in turn he gives us his righteousness we are made clean when we come to him when we are baptized into him it is an incredible exchange it's an incredible thing that happens and esther is pointing us to that situation she doesn't know she is but i'm saying in the in the bigger story it is pointing us to jesus the one who goes before the king on our, on our behalf. And that's the greater story. And I don't want us to miss that because we can easily hear Esther's story and hear it like it's an inspirational tale. We can go, oh man, like that's great. She leveraged her wealth and her power on behalf of the marginalized. You know what I should do? I should le- leverage whatever wealth and power I have and leverage it on behalf of the marginalized. And that is a good thing. Like if we get that challenge out of the story, 
I think that's a good thing. We can go, man, um, I should pour out for others. But the truth is that can just make us feel a little more guilty. Go, man, uh, here's one more way that I'm not I'm not doing, I'm not leveraging any privilege or anything I have, I'm not leveraging it for other people, uh, and, and you could feel very uh, guilty about that. So that's one way we could look at the story. Another way we could look at the story is go, man, Esther boldly spoke up about what she believes. You know what I should do at work? I should boldly speak up about what I believe, what I should do with my family, what I should do at school. I should be the person who speaks up. I could take Esther's example. She inspires me. I'm going to be more bold also, and if I die, I die. And, that, and we, can, we can say that, and we can get that from this story, and I, and I understand that. But the truth is, a lot of what that will be is just trying to build our identity on something else. Instead of building our identity on success, in that case, we'll build our identity on, here's how bold of a person I am, or here's how, how great I am at leveraging my, my, my gifts for other people. We will start to build our identity on other things. We will move the goalposts and start winning a different game. I, I've seen this happen inside and outside the church, where people get, and you've probably seen this too, you've got friends online like this, you've got friends in whatever, not online in, in the real world, uh, you have friends in this too, right, where we get like really woke about a particular topic, right, and you're like, oh man, I'm, I'm all about this, and you're super woke, and then, you're, then you get like, the tendency is, okay, now I understand this thing, I, I didn't know about it before, now I'm waking up to this thing, this new reality, this, it's not a new reality, but it was new to me, and now I'm awake to it, and I understand it. Now, and, and the tendency there, what happens is, and you've seen this, and I've seen this, is that you then become judgmental of everybody else who's not as woke as you are, right? The people who were just like you three months ago, they're annoying, right? Because now you're like, I get it, I, the light bulb has come on, why are you guys still walking around in the dark? Like, you've seen that. This happens with um, all sorts of social justice issues, this happens with lifestyle choices, this happens with fitness, this happens with health, this happens with, you know, food choices, I'm going to eat processed sugars, you're a terrible person, why, you, you see it all over the place, you see it with religious identities, you got, in, in the Christian world, you see people going like, oh, I'm, I'm a Christian, but I'm a reformed Christian, you're not reformed, why aren't you reformed, like, why didn't you figure that out, like, the light has come on, I mean, I had, I had one person talk to me about being reformed as literally before I was a reformed Christian, I, I, I felt like I was walking around the dark, and now that I'm reformed, the light has come on, and I'm not tripping on the furniture, and I was like, that's just weird, man. Like, why, why do we always um, got to make these things, and we get awoke to these ideas, and, and, then, and then everybody else who, who's not with us is, is now some sort of, uh, of idiot, and, and, and I think the, the temptation here would be to hear the Esther story and go like, okay, now, now I, I'm awakened to privilege or to whatever it is, and I need to leverage that for, for others. And, and that's a, a, a good thing, but we should not then build our identity on, on that, on how woke we are. We should build our identity on, on God alone. Don't look at Esther and go, I want to be just like her. Look at Esther and see how she points you to Jesus and go, oh, he's the true one that I need to be like and follow. So the big picture here, the unseen God is working behind the scenes. God is, is doing his thing, um, and he is orchestrating some things and, and pulling some things together. And this was Esther's moment. This was her opportunity to leverage all that he had given her, all the circumstances coming together, things that look like luck or coincidence, all of that coming together she had the opportunity to leverage that for her people. This was her moment. 
Let me ask you this then as we close this up. Do you think that God only does that kind of thing then? Or do you think that God can do that kind of thing now? And then let me make this very personal. Do you think God is preparing you for something? If you were to do an inventory of your talents and gifts and abilities and the position that you have and, and whatever, whatever money you make or you know, how, however great or little that is and, and w- w- the, the, the circumstances that you're in right now, do you think this could be your moment? Do you think God might be preparing you for something? A lot of times recognizing the moment is hard to see in the moment. You know, it's the thing we see in hindsight. I can look back over my life and see all the ways that God orchestrated things to prepare me for, you know, planting a church, like how God had worked different things in the past to, to make me ready for, for that kind of thing. Um, so look over your life and, and ask yourself, what has God given you? What has he put in your hand? What position has he given you? What skills has he given you? What talents has he given you? Here's the truth. You're not an accident. You're not an accident. You're here on purpose. God knew you were coming. There's no surprise there. I know your parents might say you were like an accident. You're not an accident. God knew that you were here for this moment, that, that, that today you should be here and hear this message even. God, God has laid this out. In Proverbs 16, 9 says, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. The Lord has established some steps for you and, and laid some things out and, and wired you up in a particular way. Um, are you paying attention to him? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the way you uh, guide us. Thank you for how you have um, set the way and established our steps. Um, God, thank you that that you sent your son to die for us, that he identifies with us, becomes one of us, and then mediates on our behalf and, and goes before you and, and asks for mercy. Um, thank you for that, Lord, um, and for the example of Esther, her, her boldness, her willingness to jump into action, her willingness to give up all that she has for the sake of people who are hurting. God, may we be Um, inspired by that example, yes, but also may that example point us to Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to take communion now that we remember what Christ did for us. We remember how he identified with us and and stepped into our place and um, interceded on our behalf. Uh, So the bread and juice that represents the body and blood of Christ, you can go out the left of your aisle and down the front. We're also going to sing a worship song together and honor God with our lips um, as as we take communion. And then uh, we got a video to show you and a couple of things after that. So you, as, as you're done taking communion, go back to your seat and, and have a seat. the night.
guys can have a seat. My name is Rick Vollmer and I've been attending Area 10 for about four years. Alright, you've now gone to Vietnam twice. Um, how have you seen God move in those trips or on those trips? Oh man, what did I see God do? I mean, what, what, what didn't he do? God overcame language barriers, cultural barriers, people's anxiety and insecurities, um, fears. I was so full of fear the first time I went to Vietnam, and God, God overcame all those things. There was 12 people that are from vastly different socioeconomic backgrounds, and I have never been with a group of people that I had so little in common with, but so much to talk about, because we were constantly talking about Jesus and God and prayer and, and all the wonderful things he's doing in Vietnam and we constantly talked about how awesome those kids were and how great it is to get to spend that time with them. Every single morning when we go down for breakfast every one of those kids would hug me like this is the first time they've seen me since last year. Every morning 40 hugs. It, it was just awesome. One of, the, one of the greatest things I saw was the life of a young person changed. On my first trip to Vietnam I met with this teenage young person who, who kind of had a negative outlook on life and their place in it. And I can't say I blame them. And I heard, overheard some of the adults we work with was saying, yeah, man, that guy's really developing a bad attitude. And as a teenager, I had a bad attitude, so I tried to reach out to him. And this past June, when I met, when I met with him, he had some very different things to say. And he smiled the whole time we were there. And when I said goodbye to him, he said, you're coming back next year, aren't you? And I can't help but think that that's a heart being prepared to receive a witness. And I can't wait to go back and see him again and talk to him some more about all the great things that are happening in his life. And I was just so humbled by that invitation. If you've never had the opportunity to just sit down and talk with Rick, who was in that video, you're missing out. Like, it's just, it's so fun to just sit down and talk with Rick. He brings so much passion to every conversation. Um, I know that there are some of you in here who have been thinking and praying about joining uh, the next Vietnam trip. I know some of you in here for several years have felt like, you know what, I need to take that step out and I need to do that. And maybe this is your year. Um, I think it's easy for us to come up with lots of reasons why we don't do things, and we explain away and justify why we don't want to do something. If you really feel like God is calling you to join our next Vietnam trip, I really want to encourage you to go to the website, uh, go to the app, wherever you want to go to find that link and apply for our next trip. It's going to be great. It's going to happen at the end of May going into the first week of June. Um, don't let the excuses be the reason that you don't go. Follow what you feel God is telling you to do. All right? Uh, a few announcements this morning. First, we're going to take up our offering. We're going to pass the buckets. And if this is, again, this is a great time to put your connection cards in there. But if this is your first or fifth time with those Try 5 cards, I want to invite you to go back to the welcome table, and we have a special gift just for you. This is where we do our offering. You can give on the app as well or online. You all are a generous, generous people, and you make so many things happen. Um, a few other announcements. One, this coming weekend, obviously not the one that we're in, but this coming weekend, is our men's retreat. 
And again, I know that there's some guys in here who have not signed up yet that keep telling themselves, like, oh, I don't know, it's going to be boring. Let's think about this. You get a bunch of dudes together in the woods, you know we're going to be dumb. Like, that's not going to be boring. You're going to have stories for years that come from that. Some of you might be going, I don't, I don't think I have enough money to do it. Don't let money be the reason that you don't sign up for the men's retreat. We have people that have provided scholarships for those that may not have enough money to go on this. Just come. Just sign up. You can sign up on the website, sign up on the app. Come talk to me afterwards. I'll be more than happy to talk with you. Shoot me an email if money is a concern, and we'll work it out. We want you there. It's going to be a fantastic weekend. It's going to be a lot of fun, so sign up. Uh, coming up, we have a prayer event coming up. It's going to be really a prayer workshop. We have a lot of people that talk about um, that they don't really know how to pray and what that really looks like, and we fully believe in the power of prayer as a church, and so we wanted to be able to provide an opportunity for people to just kind of learn and experience some of those things. So on Wednesday night, November 13th from 7 to 8.30, you don't need to RSVP or anything. It's going to happen over at 2810. We're going to be putting more information on social media on the website, but we want to put this in your ears now that if you've been uh, just thinking through, like, I really want to learn how to pray. I, I want to be able to dig into that part of my life more. Um, this is going to be a great opportunity for you, and I really would encourage you to come to that. Uh, lastly, we always like to highlight a just a volunteer opportunity here at A10. A10 Kids, um, we are looking for some folks to help up with setup and teardown with A10 Kids. So essentially, you come about an hour before service starts if you're doing setup. You help clear up the space, get everything ready, and if you're helping with teardown, you stay for about 20 minutes afterwards and you help tear down. Super easy, but we're looking for about three-ish people um, to join those teams. So if you're interested, you could come back to the welcome table and fill out one of the cards, and we will get you hooked up. Uh, with that, I want to let you know that you're all going to stand right now. I feel like I have power when I do that. It's really fun. Uh, and before I pray, I just want to remind everyone um, that we will have people up in the front this morning that if there is something going on in your life and you want someone to pray with you today, we do have some people down here. So as everyone exits, feel free to come down forward. Let me pray for us and we'll be on our way. Heavenly Father, eternal God, we are so grateful uh, for the time on this earth that you give us, knowing that each day is an opportunity to, to make an impact and to make a difference. God, I pray that you will speak to us and that we will be able to hear your voice and recognizing that maybe where we're at right now is exactly where we're supposed to be and that you have something in store for us. Give us eyes to see God and ears to hear and help us to love well. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Go in peace.